Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 118 and reading for our text, verse 23. Psalm 118, verse 23, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. And I want to think this evening of things marvellous in our eyes. And beginning, of course, with the context and the verse here before us. By nature it is that we do not see even the Lord's work, let alone see that it is marvellous in the eyes of the world and the eyes of the unbeliever. It is as described in Isaiah 53, the beginning of that chapter, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. The picture of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the way the Jews viewed him and said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? Even his brethren were offended at him. The Jews, they said, that he cast out devils by the prince of devils. When he'd opened the eyes of the man that was born blind, the man that was born blind was able to say, Why, herein is a marvellous thing. In the was it ever heard from the beginning of the world that one was opened the eyes of one that was born blind? He says, "Ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes." The man that had his eyes open, he could see that this was a marvelous thing, and at the same time, the Jews were speaking against him, and. When the man that had been born blind spoke well of him, they cast him out of the temple and his parents were frightened to say anything in favour of Jesus, lest they also be cast out. And we see very clearly that when our Lord came in the eyes of many, he was not precious. Even the miracles he did were not marvellous. They passed them by they despised him, they rejected him. And you may say it is one of the most precious tokens and evidences of the blessing of God in one's soul that we see the Lord's work, recognise it, and it is marvellous in our eyes. We have a very different view than we did by nature or by birth, and though we speak in the way of eyes as actually uh, seeing, we think of this in a spiritual way as well, or how we see things as set before us through the Word of God, the picture through the Word, and that which is 
set before us in the world as we view the word of God. It is a blessed token that we see how marvellous and how wonderful our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is and his salvation is. And so we have in our text, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. I want to look firstly at, even though we may have seen that beauty in the Lord, what it is if we take our eyes off the Lord and the effect of that is. And then secondly, the mentioned Lord's doing, the immediate context here, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. And then thirdly, things marvellous in our eyes that are the Lord's doing. But firstly, when we would take our eyes off the Lord, we think of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt and they had the wonderful signs and then the bring through of the Red Sea. But then they were given the manna, and it was the manna that even though they rebelled against the Lord, even though they were chastened in other ways, we read, he withheld not the manna from their mouths. That was what sustained them right through the wilderness. And yet because it was plain, it was constant, it was regular, it was small, it was nothing special, they despised it and say there is nothing else before our eyes save this manner, and they murmured at that manner, taking their eyes off. When we think of John 6 and how the Lord spoke of himself as that manner from heaven, that true manner, that bread from heaven which the people of God are to feed upon. We are not to despise the blessing of having it the daily manner. Just because we have a meal three times a day and regular meals, we wouldn't despise that and say, well, we would rather have the times that we had a banquet or had a great feast and they are the real times. We need that daily food uh, to actually sustain us. And so in the things of God as well, man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And so rather than looking for things that are great things, you might say with Jacob, you could count on one hand the great appearances at Bethel or at wrestling with the angel, those times the Lord appeared in a very, very signal way, remarkable way. But he had the Lord's presence with him uh, all his journey through. And so as well with the children of Israel through the wilderness, if we take our eyes off the Lord, then we start to despise and start to 
Think small of what the Lord's regular giving and help and strength and through the word, answers to prayer, a word here to feed upon, a word there to feed upon, this to meditate upon, that to meditate upon, the crumbs from the master's table or handfuls of purpose gleaning amongst the sheaves. And we take our eyes off the Lord and then we start to despise that which is the Lord's doing. And the manner was a wonderful miracle, a marvellous miracle. How could God's own people look at it and that they despise it? But if they take their eyes off the Lord, then that will be so. We think of Peter, when our Lord walked across the sea and came to them in the night as they are in the ship, tossed with winds and waves. And Peter said, If it be thou, bid thee, Bid me to come unto thee over the sea. And he bid him come, and he began to come, began to walk on the water. But then he took his eyes off the Lord, and he saw the waves and the winds and the billows, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. How easy it is to take our eyes off the Lord, and all we see is our troubles and trials and the waves and temptations and all of that, and we, we, we can't see the Lord anymore. And then we begin to sing. Jeremiah, when he was given his commission, he was warned about seeing the faces of those to whom he was to prophesy. Ezekiel was the same, lest he be confounded, lest he uh, not be able to speak to them. Fear not their faces. And so again, it is what the eyes are uh, looking at, whether they're looking at the people, looking at the adversary, or whether they're looking at the Lord. And we think of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the godly king of Judah, he had the children of Ammon and Moab come against them, those which the Lord had forbidden them to deal with as they went through the wilderness. And he made his prayer unto the Lord, reminded the Lord of all the way and all what he'd done for them and his promises. And then he finishes that prayer and he says, that neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And really they did know what to do. He did know what to do, was to have his eyes fixed upon the Lord, his hope, his expectation on the Lord. The Lord then spake through his prophet and said that they did not need to fight in that battle. The Lord would fight for them, and he did. And the thing is that Jehoshaphat and the people, they believed the Lord. They didn't wait until the Lord had gone before them and delivered them before they sang and they praised and they worshipped God. And Jehoshaphat's part was to encourage the people. He set the singers, he set those to praise, and he said, believe the Lord, believe his prophets, believe his word. And they went forth in that way, and the Lord caused them to set ambushments, one against another, sword against another, because the Lord had said to Jehoshaphat through his servant, he shall not need to fight in this battle. And they believed. And the joy that they had 
the wonder that they had then in seeing that come to, to pass. The important thing is, Jehoshaphat's eyes, eyes in prayer. I wonder when we are coming before the Lord in prayer, faced with many difficulties and trials and troubles and sorrows, where are our eyes? Is it where Jehoshaphat's were? We might join with him and say, neither know we what to do. And you might come this evening like that, neither I don't know what to do. But blessed thing if we can add that, but my eyes are upon thee. That is where I am looking. For thee to appear, thee to answer prayer, to appear for me. And so for God's people, it is important for us that we look in the right direction. If we are to come into our text and if we are then to say that this is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes, we're looking to the Lord. We're looking to his work, his ways. We're expecting to see his work. We're expecting the Lord to work, to answer prayer and to appear. And those that look for him, he shall appear. He shall Regard the prayer of the destitute, not despise their prayer. He will appear for his people. He will not be sought for in vain. And so may we have then a right looking and be aware, maybe if we are so low, so downcast, and that we say, well, I can't see the Lord's work. I can't see his hand. But where, where are you looking and where are you expecting to see the Lord? I want to look then secondly at the Lord's doing that is mentioned here, the specific context Verse 22, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. The Psalms here written some thousand years before Christ, a prophecy of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Years ago, I had this illustration of the stone explained to me by a stone mason and he explained of how when they built the buildings out of stone that the top stone had to be specially formed so that it had a lip on it that the water that was coming from the roof it didn't just run right down the wall it it was dropped clear of the wall. And to enable that thin lip to be shaped in the stone, that stone had to have the grain running in the right direction. Otherwise it would be brittle, it would break off. The problem was when you come to the corner, because the corner, that corner stone, had to have the grain running in the right direction on one side of it and the right direction on the other side of it, and so it had to be a special stone, a stone with a very, very fine grain that would stand being shaped in both directions. And how it was explained to me 
whereas those that were literally building a building that had a stone like that would look at it and they'd be expecting the grain going a certain way and it wasn't. But they were to realise that this is a cornerstone. There is a reason why it is designed as it has been designed. And instead of rejecting it, to put it in its place. The word is really relating to what literally happened in the building of, of a wall and the headstone in it. Well, this word is fulfilled in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Our Lord himself, we have it recorded in Matthew, in Mark and in Luke, how after our Lord spoke of the parable, and he spoke of the uh, parable of a uh, husbandman and how that they were uh, given the charge of the vineyard and when the owner came and he came seeking fruit from it, then they uh, took those servants, they beat one, they killed another, stoned another and our Lord said in the parable, last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, Thou reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And he spoke of how they caught him, cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And the Lord asked then, What shall be Done. When the husbandman cometh, watch. When the uh, lord of the vineyard cometh, what shall he do unto those husbandmen? And they knew what should be done unto them. They said, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And then the Jesus. He quotes this, our text, and well, the words before our text, the context. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. He applies it to them. And they knew very well that he spake that parable of them. The chief priests, the Pharisees, when they heard his parables, they perceived he spake of them. And did they bow? No, they, they sought to lay hands on him. This is Matthew 21, and at the end of that chapter. So our Lord, he takes this prophecy, this psalm, and is recorded by... Matthew, Mark and Luke, without doubt the Lord pointing to himself as this stone that was rejected. When we think of what our Lord said to Peter, that thou art Cephas, a stone, and taking occasion from his name, he says, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not built upon Peter, as the Roman Catholic Church would say, 
but upon the Lord Jesus Christ, him himself being the chief cornerstone built upon the foundations of the prophets and uh, apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In the Acts of the Apostles, Peter, after they had healed the man that had been lame from his birth, were then being arrayed in Acts 4 by the Sadducees, by the uh, council. They bring him to the high priest. They're asking in verse 7 of chapter 4, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we, be, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And then he applies what our Lord said and what is in our text, the context. This is the Lord's work and is marvellous in our eyes. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men, given an other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. What a very clear lifting up and a declaration of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And this then is this that is marvellous in our eyes, that there is a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. It is this same Jesus that Paul speaks of in, in Ephesians uh, and how he points, and I think we've already referred to it, but in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and verse, verse 20, uh, how the Gentiles are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God are now built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And Peter you would well expect that he would also refer to our Lord in this way. And in 1 Peter and chapter 2, verse 6, we read of Peter speaking of us being as lively stones built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in sign a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And to you therefore which believe he is precious. 
but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Stone of stumbling, rock of offence. And you see that difference, the difference between how our Lord and Saviour is viewed by a believer and by an unbeliever. To one he is precious, to the other he is not precious. To one he is sought unto, the other he is not. And in our text we have this set forth before us as being marvellous in our eyes. No, we naturally would say things like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. If you want to get on in the world, then you need to have a good reputation. You need to get on well, especially with those in high authority. But in our Lord's day, the religious ones that were looked up to were esteemed as the highest authority in religious things. They rejected the Lord. They didn't uh, see in him the promised Messiah at all. And yet in spite of that, in spite of him being rejected, cast out, crucified and slain, yet his kingdom increased and that blessing of the Lord upon him was truly made true as we have here. The stone that the builders refused is become the head stone of the corner. Man could not take it away. They could not take away from what God had exalted his beloved son and the blessing that is to be upon him. It was said of Caiaphas that if this were of God, then we cannot resist it. If it be of man, it will perish. But with the Lord's work, his kingdom increases and it cannot be pulled down by man at all. And so when we view this uh, word of our text and what it relates to, this is the Lord's doing, the exalting of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. They bring him into the world to preserve him, keep him, bless his ministry, bring him to the cross, raise him again from the dead and send forth the Holy Spirit and the blessing upon the preaching of the word and the increase of his government, his kingdom, the blessing in gospel days. This is the Lord's doing. When we, we look at the whole plan of the Lord in exalting his beloved Son, one of our hymns says, from what beginning small our great salvation rose. And we consider this morning how uh, that Herod was seeking to destroy the young child and the many times that even they tried to take our Lord and to cast him headlong and he passed through the midst of them and when they tried to take him he said that it was not his hour and when he was to be taken he says to Pilate thou couldst have no power against me at all except it were given me thee from heaven and we see this work of the Lord this is not man's work this is God's work 
It is God sending forth his Son, preserving him, watching over him, exalting him, blessing him, and blessing his name, and blessing the ministry through his name to the power and honour and glory of God. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. We may ask ourselves then, do we see that this is the Lord's doing? As we have the record before us, as we go through, and especially at this time of year, some may have heard the accounts again and again. And maybe it is, well, we, we, we've heard it all before, or maybe it is this year that we've seen aspects we haven't seen before, seen it in a light we haven't seen before, and there's been that which has been marvellous in our eyes. We've wondered at it, we've marvelled at what the Lord has done those thousands of years ago, but it is recorded here, and we read it, and read it with eyes of wondering at it. How easy it is to become gospel-hardened or hardened to the accounts of what is marvellous and what is a wondrous thing. And we can read over it and go over it and it just leaves us unimpressed and cold. If that is so, may the Lord give us a real cry unto him that he would open our eyes and see in it what really is there, that this word really is a real challenge to us. If we do not see that marvellous, that our eyes are still darkened, we are just like the Jews, we are just like those still in nature's darkness. May our prayer be, open thou mine eyes, that I might see wondrous things out of thy law. Really the reality of this is the effect upon us because we might be able to say, well, I know all these things. I, I, could, I could tell you from start to finish the coming of our Lord and all of his ministry and all of his work. But if it doesn't touch us in that it is marvellous and is a wonderful thing, then there's something very wrong. We're not seeing, we're not perceiving what it really is. We are not wondering at it. We're not seeing the miracle, not seeing the wonder. We might read those accounts of when our Lord was on earth and really marvel how any could see his miracles and just remain so hard. And yet is it any different with us when the word is set before us? We need the same work the same power, we need the same blessing of the Lord that our eyes might be opened to see what is before us. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. Blessed soul that can come in with the language of this, this text, of this word. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. On to the thirdly, and things marvellous in our eyes. Other things. Because this will not be the only thing. If the Lord really does open our eyes and make us a true believer, then 
in the Lord's creation and in all that the Lord has done, there will be other instances that this will be the same. You think of creation, that which in Romans, that man, even whether he doesn't have the word of God, is to be without excuse because of the creation, because of himself and the wonderful way that he is made. And I've known, we've known what it is to go before medical professionals who know far, far more than whatever we would ever know of medical things and how the body works and are able to treat it as well, and that they can look upon it and they don't see it as the Lord's doing. They don't see it. They may see it is marvellous in their eyes. Some of them have said that. But they never associate the Lord with it. They don't give him the honour and don't give him the glory. When was the last time you and I looked at creation, looked at ourselves or looked at what he has made in the sun, moon and stars or this world and that we've been filled with admiration, filled with wonder at it. Uh, the heavens, they declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. And I believe this again will be one of those things where eyes are opened, then it will be marvellous. We'll see the Lord's work and it will have this effect upon us. At this time of year, the incarnation. What a wonder that is. The mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. How is it that the God that filleth heaven and earth, who is immense, who cannot be seen, he is a spirit that we cannot look upon, uh, he is a consuming fire, how could he be made manifest in the flesh, become a man? Solomon says, but will God in very deed dwell upon the earth? Heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. That beautiful word in Matthew chapter 1. I've been meditating upon it and nearly bought it this evening and then uh, had our brother preach from it this afternoon at Staplehurst, Emmanuel, God with us. And thinking of how those like Jehovah's Witness, Christadelphians, others would rob the Lord Jesus Christ of his divinity, say that he is not truly God. How clearly that word is God with us our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, truly God, truly man, truly united together in one person, forever and ever, always to be the same, made like unto his brethren, and so that we may view God, we may see God. Our Lord says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father also. A great, great mystery. Always will be, unfathomed, cannot fathom it out. And yet it is believed, received, and seen as the Lord's doing. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and overshadow thee, that holy thing which shall be born of thee, 
shall be called the Son of God. May it be marvellous in our eyes like it was with Mary when we read of Mary's songs of praise and rejoicing in God her Saviour. We cannot but read an account like that and feel what that dear lady has seen and what has been told her. How that she has believed upon the word that has been spoken her when she's rejoicing in that way. She had even no baby to see, not like Simeon or Anna yet. And yet she is still praising the Lord of what has been shown her. And may we know that. What has been shown us through the word, what has been blessed to us through the word, that we also say with her, we rejoice in God, our Saviour. So again, those things marvellous in our eyes, they bear witness of what the Lord has opened our eyes and shown us things that have been hidden from the wise and prudent and revealed unto babes. The history of the world, another marvellous thing. The Lord's ordering of it from creation. When we think of Matthew chapter 1 and the generations going through 14 generations from Abraham through to David and then from David to the carrying away into Babylon and then from the carrying away into Babylon to Christ that 14 generations, a complete, orderly, pattern way, and yet involving individuals, kingdoms, Gentiles, his people, things which at times it seemed that that line was to be extinguished, and yet it was kept going. And we see right from the beginning of the world the Lord ordering all things after the counsel of his own will. And it's good for us to be strengthened in that. What the Lord has done so far, he will do further on. Our Lord has spoken of what shall come, wars, rumours of wars, earthquakes in diverse places. The Lord's foretelling it all. He's ordering it. He knows it. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're not to think of what Putin is doing or what is happening in Israel or Gaza and think, well, the Lord is not in control. Something has gone wrong. Or in our lives as well, the Lord is in control. And the more we can see, the more we can see that this is the Lord's doing and be able to add that it is marvellous in our eyes. Sometimes when we bring it then into providential things and in our own lives, you see, like it was when Abraham's servant went for a, a wife for Isaac and they were able to say that when he related what had been done that the thing proceedeth from the Lord. They could trace it is the Lord's work and the Lord's hand. And in the people of God's lives is a blessed thing when he that will observe providence will not lack a providence to see. When they view it like in Psalm 107, whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. How many miss the Lord's work when they're ascribing it to chance or fortune or not to the Lord's hand. My life's minutest circumstance is subject 
to thine eye. And when was the last time we viewed what the Lord has done? And we're able to say, this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvellous in our eyes. We've viewed it, we've seen it, we believe. Countless things in our lives the Lord gives. And what about our calling? To be able to go back where the Lord first began. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That which the Lord has done to bring it about, the providences, the teaching, the sermons, the texts, the words that have been brought home, the conviction of sin, the trials, the temptations, the deliverances from snares, the opening of eyes to see and believe in the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. That which Paul spoke of, that it hath pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, and that in the wisdom of God the Lord has made it that man by wisdom cannot find out God. And in the context here, man by nature cannot see any wisdom, any beauty, any loveliness in Christ. But it is there and it is shown to his people. They see it and they rejoice in what they see and they have in what they see something marvellous in their eyes that they clearly can see, say this is the Lord's doing. May we have that assurance and that comfort that we ourselves are part of the Lord's doing, that he has indeed begun a good work in us, that he has wrought these things in us, he has opened our eyes, he has shown us things, he has not left us as the world is left, but shown us that of which has made our heart burn and has made us to value those things that the world sees no beauty, no loveliness at all. And to you which believe, he is precious. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. May we each here be able to look especially upon what the Lord has wrought and done for us personally as the Lord's doing, that it might be a marvellous thing. Why? The hymn writer says, Why was I made to hear his voice and enter while there's room, while millions make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? And he speaks of that love that sweetly constrained him, pressed him in, and it is a, is a wonder to many, many of us that are called. We look upon siblings, we look upon those that are not yet called. And I remember a dear sister in faith, a sister in faith in uh, Australia, and her brother, who never professed faith at all, he was on a, an outing, a, a worldly coast tour, he got up, he was telling jokes and uh, joining in with all what they were doing and he sat down and he died. He was cut off and she had no hope of him. He'd never made profession. He was cut off in the middle of activities, totally 
opposite from the things of God. And her response was, in the lines of the last hymn, hymn four, Oh, may I find my name recorded in some humble place beneath my Lord the Lamb. Well, she did have a good hope and she had made profession. But the thing with her was, what, and we might say, isn't that selfish to think, well, I'm glad I'm saved, even if my brother is not. It's a wonder of wonder that we should be. And I came across the same thing over here. Some of you may have known Mr Burroughs, the late minister that was locally and then latterly down at Chippenham, where he was at Hayward's Heath when I knew him. And he was once an altar boy in the Church of England. And again, he said that he of his family, he was the only one that was called. And that for him was an absolute wonder and marvel that the Lord had called him and the Lord had opened his eyes and the Lord had quickened him and may our desire be then that we know the Lord, that we be not passed by, that it be an urgent, pressing case with us and not a matter of indifference. Remember what Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other. The Lord Jesus Christ is set forth as the only name given among men whereby we, we must be saved. So may, may this word be true of us as we view, as we view the Lord's work in us, in the Lord's work as recorded in the word of God in creation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.